Blog Talk Radio. This is APSATS Radio, help for partners after sexual betrayal. We talk about it here. Betrayal trauma. We are APSATS certified clinical partner specialists and coaches who have been trained to help navigate you through this crisis. There is nothing we won't talk about. Sometimes listeners want to know about triggers. I'm dealing with the aftermath of my husband's affairs, and he still works the same job that he did when he was acting out. It's a job that allows him to hide his goings-on and one that he stated was a previous trigger for his acting out. The whole 16 and a half years we've been together, he's acted out. In the beginning, what I thought it was was just pornography. Um, It ended up being, I found out two and a half years ago, he had been with multiple prostitutes. I only found out a very small portion of that until about a month ago. How do you cope with all of that when you still have to deal with unavoidable triggers? Well, of course you would feel traumatized by hearing all that information and I gotta tell you Stephanie that's a staggered disclosure that's finding out little bits and pieces about your husband's behavior throughout a time period making you feel insecure unsure and unsafe so what we gotta do is set up a situation whereby you get with a specialist to do a formal disclosure so you can hear everything at one time in a safe environment I'm Carol Jurgensen-Sheets, a.k.a. Carol the Coach, and I am so happy to be with you here on Betrayal Recovery Radio. We've got a fascinating guest today. Her name is Lori Hall. She is the author of An Affair of the Mind, perhaps the very first book to ever come out and talk about partner betrayal from the eyes of a partner. And Lori has been working diligently with partners for many, many years and has so graciously agreed to become the president of APSATS. And what that means is that we voted Lori to become the second president of our association. You all have heard Barbara Steffens, who was the founding board president Well, Lori is a woman who wants to make it her mission and her vision to take APSATS even further. And she's going to be talking about that a little bit later on, as well as she's going to be talking about her book, An Affair of the Mind. And she's going to be talking about her passion, and that is helping partners to heal. This is a woman who has dedicated her life to helping partners find the tools, the resources, and actually the sanity they deserve after the discovery of sex addiction. And she makes a very good point when she says, you know, sex addicts are no longer just men, they're women too. So I can't wait to have her on the show. Now, you and I both know no matter whether you're in the discovery stage of sex addiction or you've been living with it 
three, five, eight, ten years, you know that safety and stabilization is so important. And our APSATS model says that after you find that, then you've got to be able to grieve and mourn what you thought you had and what you wanted. Once you get through that phase, then we work you through the restoration state of yourself and perhaps the coupleship. And that's how we help you heal. And so it's so important for you to find an APSATS clinician or coach by going to APSATS.org, that's A-P-S-A-T-S dot org, and looking for somebody that lives close to your home. We are a growing organization, so if you can't find somebody locally, maybe you can find somebody who does Zoom or does phone coaching or can help you by attending workshops and intensives. I mean, we are very, very skilled at getting you to the place that you want to be. So, what I want you to know is you're not alone out there. Via APSATS, we will help you find partner-sensitive materials that will help get you through this crisis and create safety in an unsafe environment. We have lots and lots of people that now are giving back and even more people who have been able to restore their coupleship. But whatever you decide to do, the most important part is that you really make it your goal to take care of yourself and to grow, to grow from this horrible ordeal. Now I'm going to segue in my conversation with Lori Hall, the new president of APSATS. And I'm going to start by asking her a little bit about her book. So here's a segment we recorded a few weeks ago, especially for you. When did you write your book? At 1996 is when it was published, um, and that was before there was anything out there for partners. This was the first voice for partners. So, and really, again, when you think, the name of that book was "An Affair of the Mind." And Lori, can I share a little story with you? Oh, I'd love that. I, Yeah, I was with a partner doing some coaching last week, and I've been with her about five or six weeks. And she said, Carol, do you want to know what my godson has been? And I said, sure. And she picked up your book, and she said, this is the best book I have ever read. It speaks to me more than any book I've ever read. And I said, oh, my gosh, I'm going to be interviewing her for a radio show. And actually, she's been made the new president of appsats.org. And she said, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, Carol, she is my hero. So, I mean, you, oh, wow. you speak, you speak oh, to the masses out there. Oh, that's so beautiful. And, you know, yesterday I got an email from someone on the appsats listserv, a private email, 
um, telling me that my book was the book that turned the corner for her as well. And this woman has gone on to found an international ministry, which is just incredible. Um, But, wow, you know, I could just – the beauty of all of this, Carol – and I and I hope any partners who are listening hear this. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. betrayal trauma, I think, is just the worst experience I ever had. Awful. I mean, I was so crushed by it. But the wonderful thing is, as you go through your own recovery and you rebuild your life, that you can make something amazing out of what happened to you. You can contribute in ways you never would have imagined um, if you hadn't gone through this. And I can say that for me, that, um, you know, I always wanted to help others and so forth, but I had a very limiting view of what that meant before I experienced betrayal myself. I was, I kind of, I was pretty idealistic. Okay, let me put it out there. I was, you know, I had Uh a very simple view of the world, okay? And betrayal trauma really woke me up to how things really happen to people. And it forced me to do a lot of deep work on myself, getting past my ego, getting past, and I hate to say this, but I, was, I think I was pretty self-righteous before this happened because I had a view that if you do everything right, your whole life is going to be golden, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. So, so not true. But the beauty of what you just said, um, and I want all partners to know this, there's a reason to go on, and awesome things can happen as a result of probably what is the worst thing in your life. Because, you know, what was so incredibly significant for me, Carol, is I was elected president of APSATS in March, which was 28 years, um, the 28th year anniversary, I guess, of the day I went for my AIDS test after I discovered my husband's uh, sexual betrayal. And that wow. was the worst of my life. I, I really felt like there was no reason to go on. Uh, I can remember sitting in the driveway. Um, I had to go by myself. There was no one to go with me, just feeling like my life was over. And it was in that moment as I was wrestling um, over whether I was even going to go, the mailman drove up, and I thought, well, I'm going to get out of the car. I'm going to get the mail because that's one more reason not to leave. <laughs> test I don't want to do. And in the mail that day were the results of a writing test I had taken. And, of course, this is the day before you just downloaded everything off of the Internet and sent it right back. But I had always wanted to be a writer, and I had um, – subscribed to Writer's Digest the previous fall, seeing that they had a correspondence course on how to write, and mailed in for that. And so the results of my test came back that day, and I opened that envelope, and it said, we've tested you in five genres of writing, poetry, um, playwriting, fiction, nonfiction, and journalism, and you can write in all five. And that's very unusual. And so you're admitted to this class. And I'm standing there trying to come to terms with the fact that I don't have something which I thought I had, which was a marriage. And I'm realizing I had something I didn't even know I had, which was an ability to write. And in that moment, I really felt in my gut that I was to write a book about what I was going through at that moment. 
and that it was going to help a lot of people. And that was my reason to go on. I held on to that letter while I drove in, and I took that AIDS test. And right after that, I enrolled in the writing course. I got a job as a stringer at a local newspaper, and I wrote 500 articles, every one of which, so I could prepare myself to be the writer who would write the book in Affair of the Mind. And so to have my election as president <laughs> that very month, you know, the anniversary, it was so significant to me to know that beauty can come from ashes and something amazing can come from the worst thing that ever happened to you. Well, absolutely, and I happen to be that contact person on um, our website, apsats.org, that's A-P-S-A-T-S dot org. I'm the contact person for people that want to find ways to give back or people that want to find out how they can become part of this incredible organization. And so I see people, I hear from people all over the world that feel like they've healed and they want to help other partners. I mean, there is such a movement for that. And so I give them valuable information from Donna Meredith Dixon about her partner helping partners program. And I talk to them about what it means to be a coach Um, as as opposed to a clinician. There's a lot less education in that. Um, there's training, and they can then become part of our APSATS organization and go through the APSATS training once they become a coach. There's all yeah. sorts of ways. Yeah. You figured it out by writing a book. They could always write a book um, and do those, you know, columns in the paper. You said that was a local paper. Was that here in Indy? No, that was in Vermont. I was living in Vermont at the time. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Got it. Was it was just journalism. Um, none of it had to do with sexual addiction, <laughs> but it was all, you know, Ernest Hemingway started as um, as a journalist, and then he wrote his novels. So yeah, that's a I great way. That. Yeah, that's a great way for writers to learn how to write is to become a stringer at a paper. A stringer means not necessarily that you're hired full-time because very few papers do that anymore, but it means you're freelance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you're mm-hmm. right, and, you know, the interesting thing about – um, partners who often are the ones who become the coaches is that um, we we are like we're doing our 13th step right our 12th and 13th step we're going on and helping other people having received our own spiritual awakening our own healing we're going on and we're helping others so it's very much a peer-to-peer um, experience with additional training and, and that's important to have that additional training so that you know how to help partners navigate the various phases of their own healing from betrayal trauma. And that's what APSATS yeah. offers. And, and I'm so happy that we open this up to coaches as well, that we're not strictly therapists. It's very important to educate the therapy community because, Carol, as you know, there's been a lot of treatment-induced trauma from partners who went for help to therapists who were well-intentioned but were not trained in the trauma model and therefore said and did things that were very hurtful to partners. And I did write about that in my book, An Affair of the Mind, the kind of I've just felt so beat up lots of times when I uh, left my counseling sessions because I was told, you know, I was codependent or uh, if I was going to more Christian therapists, I was controlling, I wasn't submissive. And all of that beat me up 
way more than just the betrayal of my husband. Um, it was devastating. So I'm so grateful for the work that APSATS does in helping therapists understand what the partner is going through and how to truly support. And it's both men and women who are partners now. It's not just, I mean, sexual addiction in women is rising, so there are men who are partners who are affected by this as well. Well, absolutely. And, you know, we're pre-recording this show right now, but last week's show, for anybody who doesn't subscribe to appsats.org, you can go to Apple and subscribe for free, or you can go to Stitcher if you've got an Android and subscribe for free. And last week's show, Andy Johns, who's one of our Appsats coaches, who his mission is to help male partners. And, you know, he has done the research. They're in the in the process right now of doing more research and this is such a tough field for male partners because there's so much stigma to why would they stay and what did they do that led to the problem and so it really is an epidemic for both sexes and we are so fortunate to be at the grassroots of providing good support. You know, Lori, I just was talking to a woman two days ago, and she came to me for her third disclosure. The first one, um, he wasn't honest, and he broke down in the middle of it. He says, I'm not being honest in this disclosure. The second one, he again wasn't honest, and this well-meaning therapist who said she helps partners booked their disclosure a formal disclosure, which I don't know about you, Lori, but for me, that's a three-hour process, um, the actual disclosure. And it takes six to eight weeks to prepare the addict for it. But anyway, yes. her, her next disclosure was by someone who called herself a partner-sensitive therapist, obviously not from APSATS. It was from a religious um, group, but she scheduled the um, disclosure during this woman, the partner's lunch hour, and said, oh. you'll only need an hour. And so here oh. this woman was reeling. She had to go back to work, and no polygraph was scheduled. And there are plenty of polygraphers that do really good work in our city. And so she still didn't know if he was being honest. And so that's oh. when she heard about APSAT. She heard about me. She came in. She finally got the disclosure she deserved. He did the polygraph. It showed he was being honest, and he said, this is the first time I've been 100% honest. It took us five or six sessions to get him to that point. And she candidly said, you know, during his first and second disclosure, there were post, uh, post-it notes all over his two pages of information. And I mm. said, yes, he came in with post-its for that same information. And I said, no, you're going to write this whole thing out. You're going to include the post-its. Yes. this disclosure turned out to be 17 pages. Not two, but 17. Wow. Wow. So, again, (sighs) it's important for our partners to get the proper guidance of what they need to feel safety and stabilization. Of course, the very first goal for abscess therapists to help the partner feel. Now, Tell me why you decided to run for presidency. Because it's a big job being the president of APSATS. (laughs) 
Yes, it is. I decided to run for the presidency for that woman that you just talked about and others who are like her. Think about how much courage that woman had to keep going, to try to find the right help, Carol, and how beat up she got in the process, how much money they spent that didn't go anywhere to helping them, and yet she wouldn't give up. There are so many partners out there just like her. They want to know the truth. They are hoping their marriages will survive. Otherwise, they would have walked away and they wouldn't be in anybody's office trying to get a disclosure. They just would have, you know, packed it in and said, see ya. But no, they want this to turn out. They have children. They're hoping their children will have an intact family. They love this person, even though this person has deeply hurt them. And these are the people that I ran for president for because they deserve you. They deserve other APSAT certified therapists and APSAT certified coaches who understand where they are and will help them to get to the truth. And as you talked about that addict, that addict needs you too, Carol, because that Mm -hmm. addict, and we all know the first step in healing for the addict is I've got to come clean. I have to look at what I've done. And that disclosure process is often, I mean, I'm not going to say often, I'm going to say almost always the first time that they've actually had to look at what their history has been and perhaps even disclosed for the first time, and I was part of a situation like this not too long ago, that they were sexually molested when they were a child. And you know that sexual molestation is a huge factor in the development of sexual addiction. And so this mm-hmm. is the first this particular addict confessed that this had happened to him. And we, I could just weep when I think about it. he'd been carrying that all those years. Okay? Mm-hmm. Never mm-hmm. enough to come out and say this is what happened to me. And that's why it's so important that disclosures are properly done. And if you haven't had our training, the APSATS training, the chances that you will understand how to properly do a disclosure, I think, are very minimal. Um, but but you did it, and and you gave this couple hope. And so that's why I ran for president. I want to be part of taking the APSATS organization forward and mm-hmm. continuing the good work of training therapists, of training coaches, and how to truly help not just partners but couples, families, Children who've been deeply wounded by this, our children have been so hurt, and there's so little help out there to understand how do we support the children, so little help to understand how do we really support the parents because they are in such a tough position. Do they disclose what's really gone on um, to their kids? Why is mom crying all the time? You know, well, (laughs) mom's a mess because of what's going on, but is she going to tell her children what's really going on? No. And then, of course, the kids are going to be in therapy forever because of family secrets, right? <laughs> I mean, we need right. better help everybody who's affected by this, and that's why I ran for president. We have wonderful people on the board of APSATS, amazing people who are so committed to helping anyone affected by sexual addiction, so committed to the ongoing research and development of resources so that we can be what we have been from day one, which is the cutting-edge place 
for therapists and coaches to get training so they can then help everyone affected by this. Well, and I really see us as having a ripple effect. You know, one of the things we know is that there are a lot of treatment centers out there that need to become more savvy in treating partners and not just leaving them in the dark or exposing them to information without that safety and stabilization. Um, And so I can see where we're really working on making a difference in the world. It's more than just for the partner. It's more than just for the addict. It's for other clinicians, other coaches, and then other treatment centers. And we've got some incredible books coming out on formal disclosure and and empathy and synthetics. And, I mean, we really are a stellar organization that knows the pain of a partner. So, Lori, just give us a hint of some of the things that you hope that we can accomplish in the next four years with your presidency. Well, one of the things that we're going to be doing is, as you mentioned, uh, Janice Cottle and Dan Drake, who are both on our board, are mm-hmm. bringing out a, on how to do formal disclosures. And, and I've I've read through the uh, I endorsed it, and it's awesome. And so one of the things that we're hoping to do is to really develop a training around how to do formal disclosures, and I think that's going to happen soon um, for the very reason that you just mentioned at, <laughs> a few minutes ago, right? So mm-hmm. we want to do – we're also looking at um, how do we help children. And this is something I'm doing in my own practice. I do have a practice. Uh, where I work with both partners and recovering addicts and getting into working with the adult children of um, who've been affected by a family member's sexual addiction. How do we really help our kids? What do we need to do in order to support them and also support their parents in understanding how do we talk to our kids about what's going on in our family in a way that is honest without exposing our children to things they don't need to know, but in a way that keeps that family transparency so trust can be reestablished. I think there's some other things that are coming down the pike that the board hasn't really jumped into yet because I've I've only been president for a couple weeks now. (laughs) But I do have a vision for how we can (laughs) unfold this and really um, expand our footprint. Because you're right, Carol, The trauma model has changed everything. It is rippling out into other organizations who are realizing that, you know what, we have missed a big aspect of recovery here. Because previous to the trauma model, the support was all for the addict. A lot of the people who were working in this field were recovering addicts themselves, and so they understood the addict's pain and what the addict needed to to heal. But there was not a lot of awareness around what partners and families needed. And the trauma model has changed that. So even though APSATS doesn't get mentioned in a lot of places, when you see the trauma model popping up, when you see other organizations treating based on the trauma model, it came from the groundbreaking work that APSATS has done to raise awareness so that treatment facilities can be more sensitive to partners. And and you and I both know 
horror shows where partners are invited in on family week and, and a disclosure is dumped on them without any preparation, without any support when they leave. And so our research is helping institutions to change that because they, that was a blind spot for them. They didn't understand what the partner needed. And what the partner needs is important not just for the partner but actually for the recovering uh, addict as well and for ongoing sobriety there because that addict is going to go home. And so it needs to go home to a place that the whole home is supported. And that's, that's my vision. I want us to continue to work to expand our research and our training so that we're supporting everyone, whether it's therapists, coaches, um, residential treatment facilities, partners or recovering addicts. And as you know, this idea of addict, are we going to call it addiction or not? Are we going to call it problematic sexual behavior? It's an ongoing discussion. But everyone who's affected by sexual betrayal, I'm just going to put it out like that. That's my vision. We have awesome people who are doing the work. And uh, we're bringing more on the board uh, soon to help us with this process. Yeah, I know, like you said, you've only been on the board for a few weeks, and you have incredible vision of how you want to take APSATS. And we know that until we really talk as a board for several um, months about that vision, we really we, we want to present it in a uniformed way. So stay tuned. We are going to be talking to you about ways that APSATS is going to, again, leave their footprint in incredible ways, but we want to have our ducks in a row, and Lori's first staff meeting as president is is coming up this Friday, so um, I really can't wait for our listening audience who are partners, some sex addicts, clinicians, and coaches to hear more about what we've got going on. We're going to definitely have you back on the show. Now, tell me what you're doing with your book, because you're re-editing it, correct? Um, I am, and you know, this book is over 20 years old. I actually wrote it in 94. Um, the publishing process, it takes a few years from the time the manuscript gets, you know, you get the contract and then everything is, is released. And so the book is quite old. And when I, when I did my research, all the research was current. There wasn't that much out there, but there was some. And, of course, now there's so much more research that has been done. And so I've been going through and I've been updating research. I've also been uh, updating the things that I said in the in the book in terms of this is what I thought back then and this is what I've learned all these many years later about this particular aspect of healing from sexual betrayal. And so I'm trying to do all of that work and and it's you know the book <laughs> You would see it. I have a big binder on my desk that is the printout of um, of all the the edits that I'm making, and and I want to add new chapters, and I'm going to have to delete some of the old chapters in order to make room for that. So so it's in process, and um, and I've got some pretty exciting people who are going to endorse it when it comes out. Um, so I'm I'm pretty excited about that, but. But right now I'm taking a bit of a hiatus because I'm putting my energy into apps. 
So I hope to be able to get back on editing that later this year. But an affair of the mind, as you said, I am so surprised at where it has shown up because, um, Carol, it's been out of print for eight, since 2008. And one of the reasons it was taken out of print, the only reason it was taken out of print, um, in fact, the publisher was getting ready to um, do a whole new push for the book uh, because it had made such an impact. It was translated into many languages. It was a bestseller in its day. But there were complaints that um, from a counseling department that when women read my book that they didn't want to work on their marriages uh, because they were angry. And, and what was happening is they were coming in for counseling to this particular office, and the office was counseling from a marriage perspective, counseling perspective without dealing with the addiction and or saying to the partner, what did you do to cause the addiction? And I know this because I had partners come to me and t- tell me that's what they were being told. And so the feeling was that um, when women read my book, they didn't want to work on their marriages anymore, and so therefore the book was pulled. And you know what? <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, so when women read my book, they realized that they, they had a voice. They could, they, could, they could speak about their experience and they could say, no, I'm sorry, I'm not going to just overlook this. I'm not just going to work on the marriage. Because the marriage is a third party. And until the addiction is, is really dealt with, how can you heal the marriage? Because there's, there's no trust. There's, only one person is committed to the marriage. The other person isn't committed if they are betraying the marriage constantly. So... You have to deal with the betrayal in order to heal the marriage. And I have so many clients who come to me because they started out with marriage counseling and they just got beat up and beat up and beat up because their husbands were continuing to act out sexually. And, again, I'm using husbands. I know that there are wives that act out sexually outside the marriage too, but most of my clients are uh, wives who come to me. I, do, I have had a, a husband who's come to me. So this whole thing of of bringing this book back out, there's a whole lot of stuff to go through in order to make that happen, but I'm in the process of it. Yeah, and it sounds like you can only do so much. And so you, like so many women, have to prioritize what comes first, second, and third. And there's no doubt that you've got a lot on your plate, so I'm real excited for you because truly – as a, as a coach, you put yourself out there in a lot of different respects. I know that you work with one of the biggest churches in Carmel, Indianapolis, to help um, women of the battle. And yeah. um, I know that you have your own coaching practice. Tell our listening audience a little bit about what you do as a coach, which is different than what you would do if you were a clinician. I think part of the difference is I really work on the personal foundations of my clients. And what I mean by that is that personal foundations has 10 pieces to it, but the ones that I work most on with them are um, I start with boundaries and standards, requirements and tolerations. And um, 
some people might, how can I say this, um, like clinicians often will do family of origin work with their clients. And what I do is I start with where they are right now, and I help them learn how to move forward, how to make forward progress. And, yes, we might touch on family of origin issues in that, for example, when we're talking about boundaries, and I explain what boundaries are and how healthy people think, I will often hear, well, I was taught that I'm not allowed to speak up or I was taught that I had to uh, let other people make decisions for me. So that some of that's family of origin issues, but I don't dive deep into that like you would with your clients, Carol. I start with, well, how has that been working out for you? <laughs> And are you open to considering another way of looking at life that may serve you better? Let's just try it out. Let's just play with it. Let's see what happens. And I do a, an assessment called um, Advanced Recovery, and it looks at four aspects of our lives. And the first one is boundaries and standards. And each one of these aspects has 25 statements that are part of it. And these 25 statements are how healthy people think. So I have my clients do this assessment, and oftentimes they can only get one or two in each of these columns, only one or two ways that they think in a healthy fashion. And, and then that's okay. I tell them, no problem, that's okay. This is where we're starting. And then I ask them, what is the statement here that you think is the most offensive, <laughs> the one you can't possibly do? And there's usually something that they will think is very mean. I say, okay, we're going to put that to the side for right now. What is the one statement that you think that you could possibly entertain trying out? And then we entertain that and, and we practice it. And we see how life changes as they learn how to think differently about life. And that's really how I work is how are you thinking about life? How is that showing up? Because what happens, people come to me probably because they're unhappy about the conditions of their lives, the circumstances of their lives. There's a lot of pain in those circumstances. And they've been trying to change the circumstances. But until you change the beliefs that created the circumstances, the circumstances are going to continue. And you may be able to slightly you know, rearrange the furniture on the Titanic, but it's still going down. Okay? So I start with what are you believing that's causing these things to keep showing up in your life. Let's work on that. Let's make a plan, and, um, and that's how the transformations happen. I also I'm, I, I give space for my clients because lots of times when they come to me, they are really in so much pain, and they just need someone to listen for a while and acknowledge how tough this is. And so I do give space for that, too, in my practice. I think that's an important part that I can provide for them because I've been through this myself, and I understand. Um, so it's not therapy. It's really just being a presence to the grief. But th those are my two main pieces is being a presence and helping them understand how to have healthier thoughts and then how to – how to actually apply those thoughts. Because it's one thing to say, I don't do things for people that might cost me, or I don't keep silent when I'm upset. It's one thing to say that, but what does that mean? How do we actually speak up for ourselves? So I, I teach assertiveness skills, 
when I'm working with recovering um, addicts, I work with them on empathy skills because a lot of them, I mean, lack of empathy is the biggest problem that my partners face. And I have had so many partners say to me, if he could just understand the pain he's caused me, if he could just learn how to lean into me instead of arguing with me about it or making me feel bad because I'm upset, that I would be able to continue in this relationship. And I just had a partner. This was so awesome. I just had a partner whose husband finally got that. And and she, I mean... <laughs> This is the amazing thing, Carol. It's so simple. Most partners, that's all they want. Yes, they want to change behavior, but they really want him to get or her to get how deeply the heart goes. And once that happens, it's like this partner said, I feel like my heart is being set free. Um, all this anger that I had is starting to dissolve. And it was a simple thing. He just came to her and he said, I really understand what I did. Here's how I hurt you. You know, I disrespected you. I, I put you in a situation where you weren't safe. And he went on and he listed the actual things he had done. It's not just that I cheated on you. No, I lied about you to other people. I made you think you were crazy when you were trying to... Um, you know, confront me about what was going on. And then I dismissed your pain and made you feel bad for even feeling like you were in pain. And the, so this is the work that I do, is helping both sides of this equation understand how do we reconnect with each other and how do I connect within myself for my own pain and, and really understand my own healing. Because partners in the beginning, and this is very natural, we tend to be very focused on he's got to get it right that's part of safety and stability. That's our first stage, right? Because life is falling apart all around us, and, and the person who's burning the house down has to stop. But there's an important part here where the partner has to learn how do I, how do I help myself in this situation, even if he's not changing? What do I need to do so I can not only survive this but thrive in the midst of it? And so that's my well, you- Oh, and I love that. You know, I happen to agree with you. Empathy is the number one relational skill that will help her heal. As a matter of fact, if I can just plug my book that's coming out, Help, Period, Her, Period, Heal, it is a, an empathy book for sex addicts to help their partners heal. And, you know, Lori, you and I both know sex addicts don't have empathy. Now, Men typically have not been taught empathy in general. And then when you are a sex addict, you have become so self-interested and selfish and self-absorbed to maintain Uh that behavior that you forget how to do empathy. And then I find when they're really wanting recovery and they watch their partner's pain, they want to either dispute it or they want to hide in their shell and run from it because it is so horrific and horrendous. It's huge pain the partner feels. And so yeah. if they can do something I call AVR it, which is acknowledge the issue, and that is the number one thing a partner wants. She wants to know that he sees her pain and then yeah. validate her feelings and then reassure her of the changes that he's making to be different. It's like putting antibiotic on a wound. It's like suturing up a bleeding um, limb. It is exactly what she needs to begin to feel better. 
Yes, absolutely, Carol. I'm so thrilled about your book. And this whole thing about the addict not having any empathy, when you realize two things about that. First is that many of these people who developed sexual addiction had some type of huge trauma in their childhood. And in order to survive that trauma, they had to shut down their own feelings. And so they've been living in a state of numbness to themselves all these years. And so how can they even be aware of how someone else is feeling if they don't even know how they're feeling? And then the second part of it is that sexual addiction by its very nature is exploitative. You must exploit someone else in order to get whatever buzz you're going to get off of it, whether it's looking at porn or hiring an escort or prostitute, whatever. The very nature of this addiction is exploiting other people. And you cannot exploit other people if you will even for one second consider what it's doing to them. And so you have to shut your feelings down even further when it comes to what other people are going through as a result of your actions. And so I think on levels, the people who have this addiction don't have any empathy. And part of them recovering their own self is learning how to mourn their own traumas, finding empathy for themselves, being awake to their own feelings again, then they can be awake to their partner's feelings. Oh, absolutely. Laura, you're singing my tune. I love it. I'm looking at the time, and I know that we have to end. And so I want to thank you for stepping up to the plate and being our new leader, and I can't wait for our listening audience as well as partners all over the world to see where you take us. So thank you so much for everything you've contributed thus far. Okay, thank you. I look forward to the next phase. Absolutely, and we're going to have you back on so you can talk about it. Woohoo! Can't wait. <laughs> All right, Lori, make it a good one. You too. Bye. All right. So, again, that was Lori Hall, and she is our new APSATS president, supercharged about her doing that work. And we'll keep you posted because she has amazing vision for where we're going to go in the APSATS world. And when we go special places, we take you with us, so we'll keep you posted. Well, I need to leave, but as I say at the end of every show, there will only be one of you at all times, so fearlessly have the courage to be yourself. And we'll catch you next week for more Betrayal Recovery Radio, where you find hope, strength, and lots of skills to take your life to the next level. Make it a good one. For more information, go to AppSats.org, the association of partners of sex addicts trauma specialists, to find a professional in your area who is trained to help you after sexual betrayal. Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. This is AppSats Radio, help for partners after sexual betrayal. We talk about it here. Betrayal trauma. We are AppSats certified clinical partner specialists and coaches 
who have been trained to help navigate you through this crisis. There is nothing we won't talk about. Sometimes listeners want to know about triggers. I was dealing with the aftermath of my husband's affairs, and he still works the same job that he did when he was acting out. It's a job that allows him to hide his goings-on and one that he stated was the previous trigger for his acting out. The whole 16 and a half years we've been together, he's acted out. In the beginning, what I thought it was was just pornography. Um, It ended up being, I found out two and a half years ago, he had been with multiple prostitutes. I only found out a very small portion of that until about a month ago. How do you cope with all of that when you still have to deal with unavoidable triggers? Well, of course 